everyone, my name is Michelle and welcome to Romcom Weekly. Today, my husband Frank is back on the podcast and we're talking about the movie Wimbledon. Hey Frank. Hey, how's it going? I'm doing all right. Thanks again for doing this podcast with me. My pleasure. I love tennis and this is a movie about kind of tennis. There you go. So a few things about this movie. It was released in September of 2004. It's directed by Richard Longcrane. Written by Adam Brooks, Mark Levin, and Jennifer Flackett. It stars Kirsten Dunst and Paul Bettany. The IMDb.com summary is, A pro tennis player has lost his ambition and has fallen in rank to 119. Fortunately for him, he meets a young player on the women's circuit who helps him recapture his focus for Wimbledon. It has a 6.3 on IMDb, and it made around $41 million at the box office. All right, Frank, what are you rating this movie on a scale from 1 to 10? I had a lot of trouble doing this because there are a lot of visceral reactions that I had during the movie, but I want to give it its due. So I'm going to give it a flat 6. A flat 6. Okay, cool. I initially actually started with the 6, and then I actually decreased it. Oh. I'm landing at a 5.8. Okay, I'm, I'm really interested to get into your head now yeah we'll get to it i mean you you do love tennis and i'm the one who proposed this movie for us to talk about but yeah what's your relationship with this movie i've seen this movie probably two times Mm -hmm. i watched it the first time and i was like wow this movie sucked i'm never gonna watch it again and the second time was uh last week in preparation for this podcast and upon second viewing I tried to keep an open mind, and I think it was still pretty painful to get through, but the more diligent analysis that I did kind of gave me some more insight into some of its, you know, some of its good sides. Diligent analysis. Okay. When you saw this for the first time, was it back in 2004 when this movie came out? I'm pretty sure it was during college, and I illegally pirated it. Mm. But you watched it because you're like, oh, I like tennis, and this is a movie about tennis. Exactly. Uh, Yeah, so, I mean, for obvious reasons, I wanted to talk about this movie with you. You love tennis. We've actually been to Wimbledon, which we've mentioned on this podcast before. And actually, Wimbledon is starting very, very soon. By the time this episode airs, I think Wimbledon will have already begun. How apropos. Apropos. Very appropriate. Here we are. I thought that this would be also interesting because I know you're going to have a lot of quote-unquote hot takes about the game of tennis. They're not going to be sizzling, but I'll have some things to say. <laughs> but just a really random note is that I think this might be the only rom-com out there about tennis. There's a Woody Allen movie called Match Point. Did you see that movie? I think I got pieces of it, but not I... Not a rom-com. Okay. But yeah, I think when you hear movie and tennis, a lot of people may bring up that movie or Battle of the Sexes, the movie with Emma, Emma Stone and Steve Carell. About oh, yeah. King. Yep. yeah, there's just not a lot of tennis films out there. So mm-hmm. I guess you were the prime audience for this movie. I'm not entirely sure. But okay, so you're giving it a 6. I'm giving it a 5.8. Yeah, this is not a great movie. But what do you like about it? So there's a, a few things. I'm going to start with the acoustics. So the sound of a ball being hit inside of a stadium it, back in 2002 that brings back certain memories. The ball doesn't sound like that in stadiums anymore. Ooh, what do you mean? The the strings that players use nowadays, they make a different sound. Got it. So I think watching this now for a movie that was supposed to be early 2000s, mm-hmm. it brought back certain memories of what a, a ball might sound like at Wimbledon when the strings were different. Like nostalgic memories? I think they deserve some some kudos for their sound mixing. Okay. So let's get that out of the way. Yeah, sure. The uh, sound effects of Wimbledon as a as a pro. I saw at the beginning of the movie that they had a tennis consultant. Uh, it was Pat Cash. Mm-hmm. I don't know that much about Pat Cash. Um, I've heard of his name. He's an Aussie who was big probably in the seventies and eighties. But I really respected some of the nuances of the game that was brought to the forefront during the plots of this movie. So. The mental aspect, so all of the the internal dialogue that was going through Paul Bettany's character, 
Peter Colt. Mm -hmm. That was the diligent analysis that I was thinking about. I was like, if you stop to think about what he's saying to himself, it all tracks Mm -hmm. with how he's progressed as a player, where he is in his career right now as a journeyman, you know, pretty far down in the rankings in in like the hundreds at that point. Mm -hmm. And it's a very defeatist attitude for a lot of the game. And you get to see how someone talks to themselves when they're not in a winning mindset. Hmm. I think that was one of the better parts of the film is trying to tackle that. Even though when you first watch it, you're not really thinking about the impact of that and the character and all of that stuff. So if I may then, if you're, let's say, a winner of the game, what would that dialogue look like instead? Not like Peter Colt. <laughs> so the, the problem with what he's doing is he is talking to himself. Mm-hmm. He is in his own head. Yes. And when you have that type of dialogue, specifically the type of dialogue that he's, he's, he's had, where he says, let's see if I can make this last a while. Mm. And he also says this weird quote, which is, and then I have to keep winning. And almost a defeatist attitude. Yeah, if you win, you just have to keep winning. And that, one, you can't look so far ahead. I think that's, that's already a cardinal rule. And you have to be in the moment. You can't let your head drift into these conversations with yourself. Mm-hmm. So seeing what he's ta- he's saying to himself is like, it's eye-opening because these are conversations that in some shape or form I've had as a competitor or like a sports player um, in my life. And those are not productive conversations because as soon as you start having those conversations, your game dips and bad things happen. So as opposed to, let's see how long this can last, it's... Make the point. The next ball. Be stay aggressive. Hmm. Don't don't really think Just so much. Got it. He's overthinking. Exactly. What else do you like? I appreciated all a lot of the other tennis things that I think they worked very hard to make uh, pretty realistic. Mm-hmm. So at this point in his career, Peter Colt is like 119th, mm-hmm. and it's really hard to make a living at 119. I was actually really surprised that his his friend, the guy who plays Jamie in Game of Thrones. So his name is Dieter in this movie, played by Nikolai Koster Waldau. Jamie um From Game Lannister. Of Thrones. Yeah. So they're approximately in the same like ranking. Yeah. The fact that he's like stayed behind as Peter was having his big run in Wimbledon instead of like going to play another tournament, that's a that's a pretty big show of support because you have to play to get points you have to play to to potentially to get paid yeah right these these guys can't even afford their own coaches at 119 in in the world so i think that part of it was really surfaced well Mm -hmm. it's the life of the journeyman and there are some other things around tennis where they were describing like the grass, firm but springy. Mm. And I was like, oh, I like I like that description. Yeah, I think this movie was made for people like you, people who understand and really like the game of tennis. I, I, I think it's a very narrow view, or it's, it's very difficult for a producer to be like, I want to make this movie for a tennis fan. Sure. He's probably trying to bring the game of tennis to a broader audience by using these extremely descriptive visualizations or words Mm -hmm. i don't know if everyone appreciates it unfortunately and you can only appreciate it after you put aside how bad of a movie this was otherwise so i unfortunately don't think a lot of this stuff comes through for the casual viewer because they're just trying to get through the rest of the plot and the incredulity of the relationship between peter colt and lizzie yeah lizzie bradbury played by kirsten dunst So for me, there's not a whole lot of things I like about this movie. I mean, yes, I expected you to come to the table with a lot of tennis terms that you liked about this movie. So for me, it's just a pure, you know, movie watcher. Not really funny. I mean, sorry, this is not something what I didn't like. Sorry, we're talking about what I like about the movie. I skipped ahead. Um, I I already have a pretty high respect for professional athletes, but I think this movie did kind of just make me respect them even more. Mm -hmm. You talk about the internal dialogue. Like, I find myself, when I watch a lot of games, I always wonder, what are these players saying to themselves at these moments of high pressure? Especially in the game of tennis, where it's just two people on a court, cameras are zoomed in on your face, 
they always have a poker face. You can't really tell what they're thinking, but I guess that's why they're professional and they can handle these high high stress moments. But yeah, it's just for me, it's just, wow, this is really fascinating. This is really what goes on through a, a tennis player's head. Yeah. So I liked that kind of storytelling aspect of it. Yeah. You don't get a whole lot of it in a lot of other movies where it's just a tight shot, but mm-hmm. the internal dialogue is, is unique. Yeah. And I'll say the other thing I liked about this movie is that I, I thought it was mildly refreshing to see the woman, Lizzie, She's the one who's kind of bold and short-tempered, and she's the one who propositions Peter really, really early on. So I was like, okay, because usually and traditionally we see Mm -hmm. the man being that person. But that's all I got for things I like about this movie. Same. (laughs) Are we going to spend the next 45 minutes tearing this apart? Let's tear it apart. Okay, so what didn't you like about this movie? Okay, so I'm going to not start with anything tennis-related. Okay. We can get to that part stuff later. Sure. I didn't believe... In Paul Bettany and Kirsten Dunst. Mm. I don't know if it was their acting. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have as critical of an eye for acting versus directing versus writing. Sure. But I didn't believe it. I don't know why. I a thousand percent agree with you <laughs> on this because I found my, I, I tend to read a lot of the critics' reviews of movies before I talk about them just to kind of understand what the reception of the movie was at the time. Roger Ebert gave this movie three out of four stars. Really? And one of the reasons he said he liked this movie was the chemistry between Paul Bettany and Kirsten Dunst. And same with the New York Times. They were like, yeah, they're just, they they have really good banter. And I'm like, I just didn't buy it. And I don't, again, similar to you, I'm not sure why. I think they're both attractive people. I think maybe in my mind, I'm like, oh, there's a pretty big age difference because I, like Kirsten Dunst is just a few years older than me. And I think Paul Bettany is like, 10, 15 years older than Kirsten Dunst. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But it's just, maybe it was an age thing. So. I, I can't put my finger on it either. He's supposed to be 31, 32-ish, right? Mm. So he's an aging vet. Mm-hmm. Lizzie, this is her first Wimbledon. They don't say exactly. How old she is. How old she is. <laughs> so this gets a little bit weird. A lot of people like Martina Hingis, Sharapova, a lot of people win Wimbledon in their teens. teens. So for Lizzie, you know, this is I, presumably she's 18. Otherwise, this wouldn't make, you know. Yeah. But she's 18. He's 31. The father's on tour with her. Yeah. It, it's a little weird. Mm. And then you have the fact that Paul Bettany, sure, he's an attractive person. I don't know how to say this. He's not Brad Pitt. <laughs> he's not Daniel Craig. He's He's this slight slightly mopey he's not like necessarily exuding confidence Mm -hmm. so he's maybe like a british sort of hunk in some way i I don't know (laughs) you just didn't buy his like charismatic demeanor yeah the physicality of it i didn't buy that lizzie bradbury would fall for a guy who accidentally walked into her hotel room Mm. while she was showering Mm -hmm. And somehow be like, oh, this is the boy toy that I want Mm -hmm. to hang with for, you know, the next fortnight instead of this Justin Timberlake looking douchebag. Oh, the the young American guy. Jake. Jake, He totally looks like Justin Timberlake with the curly perm. Yeah, maybe it's the British and the American piece of the puzzle. Sure. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, you also mentioned like... The believability. For me, I actually literally wrote down, like, they just seem so smashed together so quickly on in the movie that I just didn't really have time to buy into their relationship either. I don't know. I just found myself like, oh, I guess this is it. They didn't work up to being a believable couple. I actually believe them more when they were angsty with each other. Sure. So later on in the movie, when Peter's trying to get back with Lizzie and... Lizzie was looking, I don't know, at the airport and she was uh, conflicted. Mm. I believed that part of their relationship somehow. Mm -hmm. But when they're on screen together Mm -hmm. and they're trying to lift each other up, Mm -hmm. I just don't. I don't don't get it. I don't get it either. I I don't buy their relationship. Yeah, I think this movie is just fine. I wrote it in caps. It's just fine. There's no emotional highs. There's no lows. Nothing was particularly funny. And I mentioned, I think I was just really distracted by thinking if Paul Bettany and Kirsten Dunst are actually good tennis players. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I think that they did a lot of 
stuff on the on the special effects end and great job in that department because I believed it. They looked like they were really, really good tennis players, but I was just like, are they actually that good? So I just found myself being really distracted and not really buying into the relationship. But then similarly, I also just found myself wondering, why does Peter like Lizzie? Oh. A few questions I wrote down. Is it because she's a good tennis player? Is she- it because she pushes him to be better at his game? But like, what other redeeming qualities does she have other than like being attractive? I guess nothing really. I mean, so this is what I struggled with is right. what is the theme? What are the themes yes, of the movie? Yes, same. One of them might be female empowerment, which you alluded to earlier because sure. of the dynamics of the relationship. The other one might be like decisiveness mm. and family. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm saying all these with a question mark because yeah. they feel kind of tacked on. Like they didn't come to the script writing with a clear reason for why this movie should exist. Okay, yeah, I agree with you. Later on in the movie, there's there's a, a scene where uh, Peter's mom and dad, they, they talk about how Peter has kept them together and how they... This is a whole bunch of things that seemingly get resolved, but you never knew what the conflict was in the first place. So I'm, I totally agree with you. So this is actually one of the other reasons I didn't like about this movie is that there's just too much going on. So I wrote down like a list of things here. Okay, so you have Peter and his relationship with tennis, right? He's about to retire. You have Peter and his relationship with Lizzie, which is presumably Mm -hmm. the A plot of this movie. Lizzie and her relationship with the game of tennis and then her father. Peter's family. You have his parents kind of like having a fight. His dad moves into the treehouse and then they make up. And then also like Peter's brother, who's played by James McAvoy, also just really quirky. Like he's trying to be a cyclist, but it's like not a very good one. And he watches porn while he's cycling and like is always betting against his brother. So that's one whole other thing. And then you have Peter and his relationship with Dieter, his hitting partner, right? And Mm -hmm. like that whole relationship. And then you have Peter and his rivalry with the American tennis player. It's just, there's a lot going on. To your point, what were the problems to begin with? It's like, this movie's not long. I think it's like an hour and 40 minutes, maybe. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, sure, life is complex. There's a lot of different things going on in everyone's life. But I didn't need all that extra stuff. Just give me Peter and tennis and Lizzie. I liked the sprinkling in of the parents. I didn't. Oh, you didn't? I didn't because I didn't get it. Well, I liked that they were there. That they were yeah, there. Yeah, But I didn't need them, the parents to have conflict. I didn't need that. But it was trying to do too much, I think, when it really didn't need all that extra stuff. So I agree with that. And I'm going to add on to, I'm going to pile on. Please. And say that the directing or the cutting... I don't know what the technical terms are. Sure. The way that everything's pieced together, it felt like all of those scenes with the parents, with the brother, they felt like little interludes. Mm-hmm. Almost kind of like an SNL skit that was dropped in the middle to to lighten the mood. Mm-hmm. Except it wasn't the same recurring group of people to lighten the mood. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking back to the last movie we we did together, which was Fever Pitch. Mm-hmm. And you know, every 20 minutes, 30 minutes, there's a scene the same group of women and it's like this little recurring segment and you you get a vibe for it mm-hmm. here it just changes it up it just the movie feels like it pumps the brakes throws you into another world and you're like what what just happened mm. the flow isn't the really flow like... the flow's not there yeah combined with too many things going on just makes it really ironically hard for us to focus <laughs> Pretty proud of myself for coming up with that on the spot. I feel like this movie could have been a little bit better, but, you know, I'm not a movie maker, so here we are just criticizing movies. (laughs) (laughs) But let's move on to themes. Uh, You mentioned that it was hard to come up with one or a few here, and I I struggle with that as well. All I could come up with was, like, you have to sacrifice love to succeed sometimes. (laughs) But that's not a great message. But ultimately, Lizzie comes back and works with Peter to to beat the American guy at the end for the final. I, I had nothing here. What did you get? Focus. Focus. Try, try to focus. Know what you want. Be decisive. I guess. I, sorry, go ahead. It was like loosely alluded to throughout the movie where they were saying Lizzie's game is so good because she's great 
and knowing what she wants and just goes for it. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like they try to tie that back later on in the movie, but I, I'm drawing a blank for when it's actually applied well. So segue here is favorite scene. I actually struggled with favorite scene because I was like, nothing really stood out to me. And then all I could think about was John Favreau's character. He I made a decision. Ron Roth. Yeah, I made a decision. So the quote I copy pasted here is that um, Peter and Ron are watching Lizzie play tennis. And Peter asks, what do you think makes her so extraordinary? And Ron says, no embarrassment, no fear. She makes a decision. She goes for it. All pistons firing. It's a turn on for the rest of us. Because most of the time, let's face it, we're all scared shitless. I don't want to make any decisions. But that was like the best part of the movie to me. That I guess that's the only point of the movie that spoke to me. It's like, oh yeah, I, I feel seen because I'm incredibly indecisive. And I want to be that person who can easily make decisions and be a little bit more fearless Hmm. for me that was my favorite scene i like a lot of what's his name again john favreau's character yeah his name is ron roth which i didn't know until i imdb'd it i only know of him as happy yeah from the iron man movies yes um he's my favorite character yeah same he's my brawn of the black (laughs) water the comic relief that john mcavoy was not able to provide in his yes Spandex wearing, OTB betting, you know. What's o- oh off off track bet? Yeah. yeah, I just liked him. He was he was refreshing. Mm-hmm. He had uh, very nice jokes about cucumber sandwiches. <laughs> but yeah, I think he was he was my favorite part too. Yeah, but did you have a favorite scene? Did I have a favorite scene? Um, no. Yeah, I I had an emotional moment when Lizzie came to the stands to watch. Prior to the rain delay, mm. I thought that was uh, a good moment. But none of the scenes really felt like good scenes. Like, they were just there. I agree. Cucumber, cucumber. They forgot the sandwich in my sandwich. <laughs> All right. So if you don't have really a favorite scene, let's move right along to WTF moments. So these are plot holes and most unrealistic moments. Do you want to kick us off here? Oh boy. Okay. So I'm going to start out a right field here. Left field. <laughs> right left field? <laughs> yeah. The outfield. Peter Colt is British. Yes. Peter Colt, if, if you have to think about an equivalent for, for what that's like, Tim Henman is uh, the equivalent of that era. Andy Murray is the new Tim Henman, except Andy Murray actually won. There was so much Tim Henmania during Wimbledon. That it was crazy. What year was him? I, I've never heard of this guy before. You've never heard of Tim Hemman? No. He was like a multiple semifinalist in Wimbledon. Always lost to Pete Sampras. He was the great British hope. He was the best uh, grass-specific grass court mm. player. Serving volley or extraordinaire. Anyhow, unrelated. <laughs> sure. The British press went gaga over Tim Hemman's progress. Mm-hmm. And continued to do so over any British player. Andy Murray is Scottish. And they go gaga over him. So for Peter Colt to not get the focus and attention until the finals, totally unrealistic. This is my WTF moment. If he got (laughs) past the second round, there would be paparazzi all over him more so than Lizzie Bradbury Hmm. or whoever the new Federer Jake would be. Yeah. You know, the British press love their Brit tennis players and... The fact that the, they weren't swarming him the entire movie was just the most unrealistic thing. They would prefer talking to Peter Colt after the fourth round over an audience with the Queen. Well, so from my memory of the movie, the press does start to swarm him pretty early on, but he seems to easily evade them. Like he's trying to run away from them. Also, so they're all looking for him. Yes. And he would not have succeeded. <laughs> Also, he played his semifinal match on court two, which is called the the graveyard court. Mm-hmm. Semifinals at Wimbledon don't get played on that court. They get played on center court. Okay, I agree with you. I do think that um, the British press is notorious for being in your face, being a very, very difficult, very difficult press. So yeah, that that's a really good point. Okay, here's my second one. So at some point, there's 
this press event or like a sponsor event, Slazinger, which is the company that manufactures the the tennis balls for mm-hmm. for Wimbledon. They're ho- they're hosting some event, and uh, Lizzie goes to it, and Peter goes to oh, it. Oh yes, right? yes, yes. It's like the the whole black tie affair thing. Yeah. It was during Wimbledon, and I don't oh. know enough about Wimbledon, but I'm pretty sure you don't have That's a great one a sponsor event in the middle in the of middle the of it. Tournament, you yeah. have a lot, you know, beforehand. But you know, you do all the press events. Also, half the players are gone by the middle of the week. Actually, more oh, than half. Such a good point. So they have this Slazinger sponsor event, presumably on a Friday night or a Saturday night. So what's unique about Wimbledon is that the, the middle Sunday is off. There's no matches on that Sunday. Mm-hmm. So if you think about the timeline, the sponsor event could have been on... That weekend. That weekend. Peter whisks Lizzie away to the countryside, driving all night. Yeah. Like, he lives in Brighton. Brighton is a one and a half hour drive from London. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where he was driving to the whole night that he only <laughs> landed in Brighton like the next morning. Yeah. It was daylight. Yes. So maybe I'm my, my geography Googling isn't great, but I, I don't get the timeline there. And so if they're driving all night, this assumes that they weren't sleeping. You're professional tennis players. Yes. You're in Wimbledon, the second week of Wimbledon. And Lizzie wants nothing more than to win. You have to sleep. You have (laughs) to sleep. Right? Not only did they not sleep, they didn't practice. Mm -hmm. So these creatures of habit, which they've described throughout the movie, Mm -hmm. they didn't practice for like two days and they didn't get sleep. Yeah. Yeah. I I a thousand percent agree with you. As we were watching this, I was like, where are they going? How do they have so much free time in the middle of this very, very prestigious tournament? So every player who's I'm assuming plays in Wimbledon is playing to win. Yeah, there's and for yeah, Peter. They're creatures of habit, as you say. For Peter, like the prize money grows significantly with each round. Mm-hmm. So for someone who's going to be resigned to like you know being a club uh, country club tennis pro, which not a bad gig. Sure. This is his last best chance. Yeah. And you're gonna just drive yeah. around with. But he fell in love in a week and a half. <laughs> They said I love you in a week and a half. Yeah, I, I don't buy that um, simply because they're only getting to know each other through such a one-dimensional facet of their lives. But yeah, I, I'm agreeing with everything you said. One for me is that Lizzie is just so casual when they have their meet cute and he Peter accidentally walks into her hotel room mm-hmm. and she's naked in the shower and she's just like, oh, hey... No, that doesn't happen. It's like fear, I think, of a stranger coming into your room while you're showering and worried for your safety that something may or may not happen. Yeah, Paul Bettany is not as befuddlingly charming as... Yes. Who who am I trying to think of right now? Uh, The other British actor. Hugh Grant? Hugh Grant. He's no Hugh Grant. If Hugh Grant walked in, maybe I'd believe it a little bit more. (laughs) But Paul Bettany... He's like, he's a pretty tall guy, yeah. slightly threatening, holding a large bag. Or maybe he's just so non-threatening that she's just like super cash about it. But yeah, I, I just was like, that's, uh, I, don't, I don't like that. Oh, here's one. Peter, who is either 31 or turning 31, and he's kind of just taking himself out of the game because he's quote unquote old, which may or may not be true for today's world of tennis. But as we know, your favorite tennis player, Roger Federer, is turning 40 this year at his I mean, maybe not at the top of his game, but it's still playing very competitive tennis. Times have changed. Times you... times have totally changed. That that part of the movie didn't quite age as well because of the advancements in health and wellness, I guess. Right. And probably performance-enhancing drugs for the top players. Yeah, probably. At the time, I think players were retiring in their like late, late 20s. 20s. Didn't yeah. like Andy Roddick retire before he hit 30? I think he made it to 30. I, I should look this up. I, I feel pretty embarrassed not knowing. But like Sampras won his last match and didn't play for an entire year and, and then, then retired. Oh, really? Like at the time, I would actually think that Sampras would have more longevity because the points were shorter and it doesn't put as much of a toll on your body. But it just goes to show that nowadays the experience wins out. 
mm-hmm. because you can preserve your body by getting stem cells injected into your joints. I also wonder if a lot of it is like today's game, all these athletes are playing for longevity. I mean, this is just me talking out of my ass. I have no idea about the game of tennis, but like maybe 10 years ago, players were just playing as hard as they possibly could win the points, win the match, whatever, win the title. But now you see very commonly like Nadal will just sit out full tournaments. And so will Roger, like all these top players will just sit out. I think it was like two years ago, Roger sat out a whole season because he, well, he needed surgery. But yeah, I, I don't know. Was that a thing back then? I think there's two things that happened. One is they didn't realize that their shelf life could be extended. Sure. And once they they knew that, then then they can play for longevity. Mm-hmm. Then they know that if they rest, it buys them more time at the tail end of their career, potentially. They didn't know that as an option. Right. Yeah. Because in 1996, there's a famous match where Pete Sampras was playing at the U.S. Open against Alex Karecha, and he drank Coca-Cola, and then he threw up on the court. Pete Sampras did. Yes. Yeah. No athlete in their right mind drinks Coca-Cola now, right? He didn't know that in 1996? It's carbonation. It's carbonation. It's sweet. It's artificially sweet. There's There were recommendations going around back then uh, where if you were running out of gas, you would eat a Snickers bar and pound something sweet because it would, it would inject Give you, you with, with sugar. Yeah. And I think that there's so much sports science nowadays that like... Athletes' bodies are so fine-tuned. Like Andy Murray, he won Wimbledon. He won Wimbledon, and he had a single beer. One beer. Mm-hmm. Like, Djokovic doesn't eat meat anymore. Yes. He's vegan, isn't he? I, there's probably other players out there who are less high-profile, who have gone through other, you know, similarly drastic Diet. changes. Yeah. Sleep science, nutrition, physical training, all of these things are... You know, if you're if you're top ten, you have your own physios. You have your own people cooking food to mm-hmm. per, you know match everything perfectly. You travel with your physical therapist yeah. or whatever. It just wasn't. It wasn't like that in the '90s. It wasn't like that even in the early 2000s. I think that's why you see 40 year old players still. Okay, so I have a pitch. They should remake Wimbledon, the movie, <laughs> set in 2021, with a much older tennis star. That'd be so boring. I'm just saying. Like, there's there's room for growth in this, in this oh, storyline. Feliciano Lopez. He's like 38. Okay. But Annie Murray's mom has a crush on Feliciano Lopez. Oh. It's, just, it's a weird storyline. <laughs> but, okay, we could, we could, yeah, we can table that. We'll table that. Um, so back to WTF moments here. My last one is just, not necessarily WTF, it's just so freaking random. It's this whole bit with the comet. Oh, I know. I understand the comet. It took me a really long time, though. I mean, you know, like it goes away, it comes back, it's shining, and they fall in love or something like that. Like it, 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 their love is faded because the comet comes in and out of you or something like that. But it was just a little over the top, a little cheesy, unnecessary. I feel like if you nail everything else in the movie, then that is a cherry on top. Mm-hmm. But if you don't nail the rest of the movie... Then it just seems stupid. Mm-hmm. So I think to me, it just it seems yeah. stupid. Also, that scene at the tennis courts where Peter's father taught him how to play tennis, mm. which is where they spot the comet oh, at, yeah. at that point. Mm-hmm. What was that about? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm Jerry Seinfeld here. He's like, what was that about? <laughs> like, what was the purpose of that? They were not They were just walking around some derelict tennis courts. Yeah. Was this trying to tie something back to a theme? Yeah. Was this, I just, it didn't, I didn't yep. get the reason I why. I get it. I get it. They tried to do a lot without a lot of time. What are your thoughts on the ending? Are you happy with it? No. Please tell me more. So I don't know what age they were when they fast forwarded to Peter and Lizzie having kids. Yes, I don't know either. I would assume at least five years. Those kids looked like to be at least five years old. If this was Lizzie's first Wimbledon mm-hmm. and she's in her teens... And the kids are five. A promising tennis career most likely doesn't take a pause to have a family at the beginning of their career. Mm. Like there are plenty of tennis players who have had success and go on to become parents. Mm-hmm. So Victoria Azarenka came back recently. Kim Clijsters came back. Uh, Serena Williams most famously came back. But 
each of those players who have successfully made a comeback, like they, they've succeeded and they have the means mm. with which to, to make a, a return. And I feel like if Lizzie was as driven as they make her out to be and her father was who her father was, she wouldn't pause the beginning of her career where she hadn't won any slams yet and be like, I love Peter so much, I want to start a family with him and then go back on tour and win a couple of Grand Slams. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm not giving her enough credit. Maybe there's some sexism bias here, but I, I don't buy that. Mm. Not not the way that their characters were constructed. Mm. I I think I agree with you because just the sheer fact of how long it takes to make a baby, right? So that's how long she has to step away from the game of tennis. That's a really good point. Yeah, I, I don't think that she would stop at the peak of her career to to intentionally have a child. This is not the peak. She she just started. She this is her first Wimbledon. She just started. Yeah, no, I, wow, I didn't catch that. That's a really, really good point. But Thank you. I actually really didn't like the ending of this movie either, which for me, I can just be like, okay, yeah, it's fine, whatever. But I actually did not like the ending. I actually forget the exact scene prior to the fast forward. I usually like a, a somewhat of a jump of the future. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, this is how they're happily ever after. But this was actually too far in the future for me. And I just didn't buy it. I was like... Oh, she all of a sudden won Wimbledon and won two U.S. Opens, and now we have two kids, and we're happily living in New York City. It's just too much of a leap. So we agree on that, obviously. Yeah. What if we we rewind a little bit and go to how the final conflict was resolved, which was the match with Jake yeah. and the finals of the of of Wimbledon? Mm -hmm. How'd you feel about that? I personally thought it was fine. Again, the operative, like the key word I've been using in this movie is just fine. I did think it was a little too much tennis, actually. Oh, okay, fair, <laughs> that's fair. The, this, the rallies were very long. They were very long and there was like some, yeah, it, it was fine. Fair. Why, what did, what, what did you think? There was a weird bit somewhere where the guy at Wimbledon was asking Peter if he wanted to use the other locker room. And I was like, oh, yeah. what? what, what? <laughs> and then, so Lizzie's giving him tips, right? Lizzie shows up. Yes. Um, they have their moment. Yes. And number one, Peter's back is shot to shit. Yes. Uh, he fell. Well, I don't remember what caused... He was reaching for a shot and uh, he fell. So... He didn't get a cortisone shot. And <laughs> I guess I'm nitpicking here. He didn't get a cortisone shot. Uh -huh. If you have a rain delay, your back is going to tighten up. He's mm. 31 years old. That back is not going to get better. Mm. Uh, even with all the adrenaline in the world. Like he was going into that final already with a creaky back from I think the prior match. Mm -hmm. So the evolution of that comeback did not seem realistic to mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. The other aspect was... Jake apparently had a tell on his serve. Mm -hmm. And he was previously blowing all the balls by Peter. Yeah. You can't... I, to take advantage of know, of knowing the tell, mm -hmm. you still got to be top physical shape. Mm -hmm. But I also don't believe that Jake beat Leighton Hewitt and Roger Federer <laughs> oh, yeah, earlier in the tournament. Say, right? Yeah, Lane Hewitt is one of the best returners in the game. Sure. He would have picked up on Jake's tell. But this is kind of funny because very recently, Andre Agassi said that he, he saw a tell for Boris Becker and had to keep it a secret except on the biggest points, which was really interesting. He didn't want to use it too often, otherwise Becker would know. Mm. So it does go to show that, you know, a top player like Becker, mm -hmm. could still have a tell on his serve. But Jake, fine, whatever. There's a lot I, of historical tennis knowledge coming into this movie. Yeah, I'm sorry, listeners, if you didn't <laughs> sign up for this. But this is the movie that Michelle picked, and this is what you're going to get. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I Well, for me, it was just like, okay, so maybe Peter hasn't played Jake before, so he doesn't know about the tell. But I guess my WTF is that if you've played him, you probably would have picked up on the tell. How does Lizzie know this tell? You well, know? they slept together, so maybe... So secrets were exchanged? No, that that's a terrible... That's a very flippant answer. I apologize. <laughs> that probably doesn't come through between the sheets. I think a lot of people watch tape. And if you have, right. a, if you have a good coach, 
that coach will watch a lot of tape. Mm -hmm. And Jake is a nationally televised player. Mm -hmm. So there's probably people around the locker room talking and coaches who know his tell. Yeah. Why would Lizzie know? That's a very good point since... They don't play each other. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe she's just watched a lot of tape of him. I don't know. How do you get to the finals of Wimbledon? (laughs) With such an obvious tell that someone who's never played you knows it. Right, right, right. Yeah, lots of problems here. In the grand scheme of things, this is not the most problematic part of the movie or the ending. But yeah, it was just fine. The ending was fine. What are your thoughts if the characters are likable and relatable? So I feel like you might have a different approach to this because you play the game of tennis. For me, I found zero characters relatable, which I think is maybe why I've ranked this movie as low as I have. It's just that there's not a lot of things I can relate to in this movie. And that's, I think, what I like about rom-coms is that I feel like the emotions that a lot of these characters go through are emotions that I've gone through, but that doesn't ring true for this movie for me. What do you think? I identify a little bit with Peter Colt Mm -hmm. in his uh, lack of success at this stage in his career. The mental dialogue is... A component that I wrestle with a lot myself. Are you talking about in life or the game of tennis? The game of tennis. Oh, okay. So I, I, I don't relate to any part of his romantic life. Sure. Or his family troubles. We're talking strictly tennis. Strictly tennis. Okay. I appreciated and I empathized with Peter. Mm-hmm. So I like that part. Okay. Yeah, Lizzie, I just, I didn't have anything. Who actually identifies with Lizzie? Her father's almost more identifiable than, than, than she is. <laughs> I mean... The movie does kind of lay it out for us, but do you think the characters stay together? Ugh. I don't see why they would stay together. Oh, why they would? Yeah. So, Peter just won Wimbledon. Yes. The movie has given us no indication that his body or his skill is going to propel him to stay in the upper echelons of tennis. Sure. And for all we know, he's going to take that job at the country clubs. He's going to be in England. Lizzie's going to be traveling the world, playing in tournaments. Mm. And she's going to need a Jake or an equivalent to keep her interested. Because that's that's what keeps her game sharp, allegedly, according to her dad. Hmm. So is Peter just traveling the world with her as her side piece? Or, or like as a relationship? I mean, come on. I, side piece seems a little... That's, that's a stretch. I apologize. But... <laughs> I just don't understand how this relationship works. Mm. Like you're you're a retired tennis player. You're not assuming ma- that yeah. he retires after this. I, I guess you could just continue playing on the tour, newly inspired by her, and just play the same events. Okay, well, I'm going to flip this because I know Roger Federer's wife is also a tennis player. Mm. Is how they met, right? Yep. I don't know much about her, Mirka. I believe her name is. But once they got together, she stopped playing professionally. She manages his career, though. Managed his career. Oh, it did. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, for me, there's something to be said about being with someone who, like, foundationally understands your career. That's that's fair. I I guess it's not that much of a stretch to think that he would travel with her to all the tournaments, even if he wasn't playing in them. Yeah. Like, if she's winning as much as she is, then she clearly has the prize money to sustain a lifestyle where he doesn't need to work. And he could be her hitting partner, and I guess. maybe he manages her career. Who knows? But I guess her the dad does that. The father wouldn't know. Yeah. Well, you know. There's a lot unknown here. <laughs> Do you have anything else to add about tennis? Like the, the game of tennis and how it's played in this movie? There was a quote at the beginning of the movie that said, tennis is a gentleman's sport. Mm-hmm. I might be misquoting it. It's not a gentlemanly sport. Like it's, it's a very violent sport. And I know it doesn't seem like that, but there's... There's a, I don't know, I was reading it on Twitter once upon a time, Mm. that the sport that's closest to boxing or MMA fighting is tennis. What? Because it's it's psychologically, at least for singles, one-on-one. It's Mm -hmm. always one-on-one. You have no one to rely on. Presumably your coach isn't coaching you from the box. Well, you're not allowed to, right? That's not allowed. Yeah. There's changes to that rule coming um, or in flight, but it's a very lonely sport and Mm -hmm. it's not gentlemanly at all there's a lot of gamesmanship there's a lot of there's a lot of anger there's a lot of emotion it's it's not gentlemanly at all so that quote or whoever said it i think peter had said it as part of the monologue oh yeah it's very much not true why does tennis get that reputation of it being a gentleman's sport what does that even mean that like proper men play it is that what that means uh i think it's because 
the old school situation is that people were wearing all whites. Mm-hmm. So it's like you can afford to wear white clothes. You, well, what does that mean? Because white clothes are expensive or you don't care about them getting dirty? Or what does that mean? Is that you wouldn't get dirty in them. Oh, you wouldn't get dirty in them. Yeah. You play other sports like football. You're, you can't wear whites because you're, you're going to be on the ground. Yeah. Baseball, you slide. So sure. you're going to okay. get dirty. I don't know. I'm making this up. <laughs> um, so in the movie, there's a lot of superstitions. We've talked about this a little mm-hmm. bit. Peter thinks that his game is improved because he's sleeping with Lizzie. There's the ball boy, the lucky ball boy that kind of follows him from match to match. And I think at one point, Chris Ever and John McEnroe are commentating and talking about superstitions. I wanted to ask you, do you have any superstitions when you play? I don't, because I don't win enough to, <laughs> to develop superstitions. Like, what, what worked last game? Um, I drank Gatorade, so I'm going to drink Gatorade again. Yeah. That's basically the extent of my superstition they're not even superstitions they're just like i'm going to try to repeat the habits that led to success last time Mm. maybe string it at the same tension or wear the same shoes or but you've never like back when you were playing very regularly you never really had any superstitions maybe not in the way that are probably the most common nowadays like you see rafael nadal oh my gosh yeah he lines up his water bottles just so yeah and picks his wedgie he like Flicks his nose. Exactly. I think those those are mannerisms that have been developed over time. I don't even think those are superstitions necessarily. Mm. But other stuff out there that I, I'm personally thinking about, no, I, I can't I can't come up with anything. Fair. What are your thoughts on the music of this movie? I don't remember a single thing. You know, same here. And like there were a few scenes where like there was music and I was like, ooh, this is a bad song choice. Like I just didn't get it. Or maybe it was just a sign of the times because it's so early 2000s. Nothing resonated. Nothing was notable. And I didn't like anything, which is very strange. I feel like for a movie to have come out in 2004, there's a lot of like popular British musicians. So I, I don't really know what the, the gap was. I don't know if this, I forgot to mention this. Mm-hmm. Uh, regarding the tennis stuff, mm-hmm. part of the thing that that frustrated me, when when Kirsten Dunst hits a tennis ball, the way that they frame it and film it, mm-hmm. it doesn't look realistic mm. because she is not putting her weight into her shot. Okay, it's she looks like she's falling sideways every time she hits a serve or just a hit. No, there's like a backhand. Oh, okay. And I I don't know why that bothered me so mm. much that I needed to mention it right now. Sure. Yeah, and that's kind of interesting to me because I told you earlier that I was just so distracted like is she actually a good tennis player? It's really hard. I so I really do think it's hard for any sort of actor or actress to mimic the the motions of a sport that they have never played. At and least to the degree that it looks professional. Professional. Sure. Like, I, I don't know any other sport. So did Michael B. Jordan look like a boxer when he was in, in Creed to a professional boxer? I, don't, I yeah, don't know. I don't know. Both of us are just like shrugging our shoulders. I don't know. Did did uh, Zac Efron's basketball shot look good to... <laughs> High school musical? <laughs> yeah. I think Zac Efron's jump shot was pretty, pretty good. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on if this movie is beloved? No. I mean, it's not. <laughs> I have a thought. It's not. Yeah, I've literally never talked to anybody about this movie. I've literally never heard anyone else say that they've seen this movie before. And yeah, why do you think that is? Like, Paul Bettany? Does he it... have a following like Hugh Grant does? Well, he's a big star now, right? Like, he's Vision in these Avengers movies. He he was Vision in WandaVision. So, or maybe that's all he is now? I don't know. Like, Kirsten Dunst is also... A very famous actress. I was looking up her IMDb from this time in her career. Yeah, she was. She did Spider-Man in 2002, Mona Lisa's Smile in 2003, Spider-Man 2 in 2004, Wimbledon in 2004. She does Elizabethtown in 2005 and Marie Antoinette in 2006 and Spider-Man 3 in 2007. So like she's really famous at this time. Is this a bad thing to say about someone that they're they're not really a great lead like she i don't think she can carry a movie and i want to point out she's also an eternal sunshine of the spotless mind in 2004 um like i think she her best movie in my opinion having not watched most of her career is bring it on Mm. i think i like bring it on because there's so many other strong characters Mm -hmm. this movie is paul bettany and kirsten dunst Mm. and it doesn't 
it doesn't do it for me. Hmm. That's an interesting perspective. I haven't like deeply thought about Kirsten Dunst's career, but of the movies I just mentioned, she is top billed. But are these like good movies? I don't know. Eternal Sunshine is a very critically mm-hmm. beloved movie, but she's also not the main character of that, right? It's Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet. Right. She does do a lot of movies with Sofia Coppola. So I think those are the movies that help her shine. But yeah, th- those are not like, quote unquote, super mainstream movies either. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to say it's Kirsten Dunst's fault. Like, no. One, casting. Was she the right person to play this character? Yeah. Was the directing good? Was the script good? Was the editing good? Was like, this movie good? Was this movie good? <laughs> Isn't it? I mean, could this movie have been up for the Razzies? I don't know. I think this movie, it's like the first of its kind, as I mentioned. There's no rom-coms like in this world of tennis. So I feel like it was trying something different, but ultimately for me, it felt pretty flat. And the, you don't see people talking about it. They don't replay it because... I've literally never seen it played on TV before. It's a niche sport. Tennis is a niche sport. I know this because when I go to whatever app my TV is using at the moment and I search for sports, tennis is at the very bottom next to like cricket. Cricket actually is extremely popular in the world. So How does it make you feel? I understand. Like on oh, the ESPN do. homepage, uh-huh. like tennis is all the way on the right side of the navigation bar. <laughs> and it's just... The nature of the accessibility of the sport That's right now. That's so interesting to me, though, because I feel like everyone in the world knows who Roger Federer is. Everyone in the world knows who Serena Williams is. So, like, people know who these huge tennis stars are, but no one actually watches a game of tennis. I mean, you know, not no one, but, like, a very small amount of people. I think the players carry uh, an outsized weight. So, like, when Roger Federer and Nadal and Djokovic retire, the people who run the game of tennis from a like yeah, establishment yeah sure. they are deathly afraid because the personalities outshine the game mm. that is also true of a lot of other sports where you know you have superstar players but by and large people will still tune in to watch games where those players are not there there's also like, no, yeah sorry. there's no fantasy element to tennis mm-hmm. you talk about football you talk about baseball basketball there's a fantasy element there mm-hmm. that layers upon the attractiveness of the sport itself you don't get that with tennis it's really hard so will a casual tennis fan watch a movie a romantic comedy about tennis like the venn diagram of those two things overlapping is very small true so the choice to make this movie in the first place was Mm -hmm. maybe not a great choice to begin with it's too too niche so if they had knocked it out of a part of the park as a movie Mm. That would have been one thing, but the fact that it's not great mm-hmm. and it's just, eh, it's not going to get rewatched because no one's going to click on it. Yeah, unless maybe you're a really big fan of Paul Bettany and Kirsten Dunst. Yes, and those are, I don't know how many yeah. there are those. Has this movie aged well? No. You're so quick with the nose. Tell me more. <laughs> Number one, there's a roof at Wimbledon, so the rain delay in the final match wouldn't have come into play. When did the roof, when was the roof uh, made? Uh, a couple years ago. Okay. Well, you know. Uh, cell phones. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't leave messages for people at their hotel rooms anymore. Um, that was... You have a thing with hotel room phones. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's the only way to reach somebody, then yeah, you leave a message. I, I'm being overly critical. The movie's not going to fall apart. Of course. At this point. It's just... It wasn't holding up that well to begin mm-hmm, with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, again, I, I go back to a lot of the diversity part. But like... Yeah, it's the sport of tennis. There's not a lot of diversity to begin with. There's some now. I think there's mm. there's a little bit better. Oh, there were no people of color in this movie. Not a single one. I think there was one. There was the one, I think he was Indian, like a teenager that he plays at some point. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're but right. But that's literally it. Yeah. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Hopefully the, the sport of tennis will become a little bit more diverse. Yeah. Okay, so I have some trivia for you here. In the original script, Lizzie steps nude out of the shower upon meeting Peter. So Kirsten Dunst actually filmed the scene nude. But before the movie was released, she persuaded the director to edit it out. So her nudity was removed. I don't get it. Same. So good for Kirsten Dunst to, to ask for that to be removed. In terms of the special effects, as we talked about, the actors served with real tennis balls. All the other balls were added digitally to make it appear like they were actually playing. So I, I think they did a really good job in the first half of the movie. Mm. 
I actually couldn't tell what was happening. Choreography of the shots and all that stuff, the points were short enough where I, I felt it was believable. It wasn't until the latter couple of matches at Wimbledon, maybe the final, mm. where I think they were trying to build up too much drama mm-hmm. to the too point. Tent- yeah. Yeah. It just didn't. It started falling apart. Jake, what's his name? Jake? Yeah. Jake hits, then Peter hits. It's just like a lot of short, short, snappy cuts. Yeah. 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 So scenes for the film were filmed during the actual Wimbledon tournament in 2003. The actors would walk onto court at the beginning or end of a match as though they were really competing. So I think when we were watching the DVD extras. Mm -hmm. Yes, listener, I have a DVD to this movie. (laughs) They were supposed to cheer for Peter Colt as if there was a British person playing Mm -hmm. at Wimbledon. And there was. He mm-hmm. was actually coming onto the court right before, I think it was a Henman match in 2003. Mm. Uh, I could be wrong. But yeah, that's a even more extended tribute. I think the DVD said that like the crowds were so excited. like They were they're actually too enthusiastic. <laughs> they couldn't get them to stop clapping. But yeah, it's the only time in history of the tournament that like filming has been allowed. It's probably the only time it will ever be allowed because they made this thing. And... Yeah. So in terms of casting, at one point, Reese Witherspoon was supposed to play the female lead. And Hugh Grant was supposed to play Peter Colt. But I don't know. That seems a little too... Like, everyone knows Hugh Grant as like this very famously British guy. So that would have been maybe a little bit too obvious. But actually, I know Hugh Grant, I think, really likes to play tennis. So I'm trying to think about this if, if Reese and... Reese Witherspoon. Mm-hmm. We're on first name basis. Reese. And what? How old? Like what? What movie era is this Hugh Grant in at this time? Is this like Love Actually, Hugh Grant? Yes, this is Love Actually, Hugh Grant. Because Love Actually came out in '03. He would be like forty at that point, right? So you're saying he would have been too old to be in this movie? Late thirties, yeah. at least. Yeah, but also Paul Bettany looked pretty old in this movie. <laughs> I don't. Know. Did he look thirty-one? He he looked a little older than thirty-one. I don't know. I would have loved to see how a Hugh Grant and Reese Witherspoon dynamic played out. Have they appeared in any other movies together? I don't think they've appeared in movies together. It's hard. It's it's because they're such extremes. Like Kirsten Dunst plays overly aggressive American girl Mm -hmm. really well. I wonder if Reese would have done like a Legally Blonde type of performance, Mm. or she would have pulled it back and you know instead of being smiley bubbly. Would have been more determined and focused, and if I that would have changed the dynamic. That. I can see her in that role—the determined, focused, mm-hmm. short-tempered. I think she could easily have done that. But in terms of physicality, I think Reese is too petite. I think she's like five two or like five three. Like That's she's okay. very, she's very tiny. That's okay. There's, oh, there's, is it? yeah. I mean, especially back in the '90s and early thousands. Yeah. Uh, Justine Henna Hennen. Uh, I think she was. I need to look it up. She was like very petite. Justine Hennon was five six, so that was a, a bad, a bad example. Okay, well then let me confirm how tall Reese Witherspoon is. Reese Witherspoon is five one. Huh. So I, I think I, in terms of like personality, I could see her doing it, but in terms of like physicality, I don't think that she'd make a believable professional tennis player. Also, you never see, you never see Kirsten Dunst on the court, really like hitting a tennis ball. In a, in a match like it, it doesn't oh, that's matter true. that's true we've seen it we see her just like serve and like the camera pulls back yeah i wouldn't i, w- I would like to see a recut version with reese and of hugh yeah now that hugh is like 65 how old is he now he's 60 yeah all right well i think we can wrap it up do you have any last thoughts or last takes of wimbledon if you like tennis you like paul bettany and you like kirsten dunst go check it out at your local DVD <laughs> store because it's not streaming anywhere. It's not streaming anywhere. I don't know. I, I don't know what would have made this movie a little bit better. For me, the obvious thing is that it should have been funnier. So it would have been a little bit more memorable. This is a pretty forgettable movie. Like, for me. Oh, just to just to put a bow on how bad the writing was. Sure. There was a retort from Jake, the Justin Timberlake lookalike. He, he says to Peter, how's the weak mind? Like, are you kidding me? Is that real dialogue in, in in a script? Yeah, it was a little contrived. But I just realized we never actually talked about our experience at Wimbledon. Oh, we haven't? I think we mentioned it on a previous podcast episode. 
but to any listener who may not have known, but Frank and I actually went to Wimbledon like a few years ago. We waited in the queue. We got into the queue at 5.45 on Monday to queue up for center court tickets on Tuesday. So in total, we probably were in three separate lines. We brought a tent and, and sleeping, sleeping bags. from our home in the United States. Uh, it was 80 degrees. We camped out. We didn't shower. We were a little bit delirious when we actually got to center court. Mm-hmm. And we watched four former champions play like seven rows behind the royal box. So if we had been there on Monday, it would have been uh, Kate and, and Harry. So I think we got, it was just Kate Middleton. Oh, we, were, we had great seats. Yeah. We saw Roger play. We saw... I don't know. Do people care about this? I don't know if they care, but you can have your moment. We saw Roger. We saw... Uh, Did we see Djokovic play? We saw Djokovic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw two other former champs. It's the two-handed German uh, player. Oh, man. I'm forgetting her name. Oh, man, Frank. Come on. This was like supposedly one of the best days of your life, and you're forgetting this? Yes. I have pictures, <laughs> though. I have pictures. But yeah, it's kind of one of Frank's dreams is to to go to every Grand Slam. So all we have left is the Australian Open. Yeah, and Australia really isn't letting anybody in at this time. So yeah, hopefully... Yeah, this probably won't happen for a while, but... Something to look forward to. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing this with me, Frank. Yeah. The the podcast was actually more fun than the, watching the movie. <laughs> I just hope we didn't bore our listeners with too much in-the-weeds tennis talk, but that's okay. If you've made it this far, I appreciate you. We appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. You can follow us on Instagram at Romcom Weekly. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And let us know what you think of this movie, Wimbledon. What would you rate this on a scale from 1 to 10? And we'll chat with you again next week. Bye.